0: You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. So why don't we just tell us what a Ninja Warrior is? Tell us about the... The show and uh, just that and we'll get back to we'll start from the beginning as you and i talk but just quick what's a ninja warrior
1: yeah so uh some of you may be familiar with american ninja warrior it's a tv show um, it's basically a bunch of obstacles that they threw on a bunch of trussing, and they put it over water and then they said do it um and mm. so uh people who are good at swinging thing swinging on things like myself um, i train year-round for it and i had the opportunity last year to go perform on season 12 of the show. And then season 13 this year, I was also on the show. But uh, a lot of people haven't seen it yet. So if you guys have Hulu, you can go check that out. Um, But Ninja Warrior is basically just a bunch of obstacles that you swing on. And it's very challenging, because you never know what's going to be in front of you, just like life. So. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, it, it is, Richelle. Looks so fun. I actually, I look at what you do, I go, oh man, it seems so fun. I would hurt myself, though.
1: Yeah, that's right. If you go to a, a local playground or anything, you can kind of be your own ninja warrior, but uh, <laughs> we got to keep Rick away from that
0: stuff. <laughs> so Nate, let's talk about, first and foremost, how'd you come to know the Lord? Like, tell me those circumstances, you know, we'll talk about some of your challenges in life, but just tell us, how'd you come to know the Lord?
1: Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a Christian family. I'm in the second row here. This is my, my mom and my dad, second and third row. They're amazing people, Stacy and Ted, if you don't know them. Um, and so I grew up in a very Christian family, and so they guided me along the way, and Then I started getting into middle school, and uh, I started going to youth groups, and there was a very powerful youth group where I lived out on the western slope of Colorado in Fruta, and so I got really involved with that, and I had a bunch of friends that were followers. My family were followers, and so when I was 12 years old, I went to this amazing Young Life camp. Um, Some of you may know about Young Life, and I was inspired to go to Christ and finally commit my life to him um, and just be reborn there. And so I was baptized uh, when I was 12 years old and uh, in that youth group. And it's been amazing ever since that I can come to events like this and inspire other people to come to the Lord and even outside of churches. So.
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. So Christian family, Christian home, uh, the gospel came to you, a strong youth group, and it was uh, and God finally got a hold of your life. Now, let's talk about something that kind of became a significant challenge for you to overcome, and and that is <clears throat> at a certain age, you got a negative health report. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so uh, growing up, I was always shorter than everyone in my class. I was always the smallest, the skinniest, and... Um, so growing up, we, we thought it was just, oh, I was going to be a late bloomer, you know, I was going to grow later. But then at the age of 12, I was diagnosed with growth hormone deficiency, um, which meant that my pituitary gland in my brain would just stop producing growth hormone and so I had to take shots for over five years every single day for growth hormone and I was supposed to be 5'8 but if you can tell from here I'm not (laughs) 5'8 I'm only 5'2 so uh, it didn't work like it was supposed to but uh, growing up it was just really hard because I expected to be so much taller and so much bigger and in the world we live in now, it's just full of people who expect you to be more. And if you're not the tallest or the strongest, then people will tear you apart for it, you know. And so being a kid growing up with a growth hormone deficiency, just it tore me apart personally. Um, just And it was hard to have faith in the Lord that everything was going to play out for good. And now looking back on it, it's a lot better. So.
0: So, socially, what was that like? I mean, yeah. a lot like, you know, challenges, rejections. And you, bro, you even told me, he's such <laughs> a sweet man. He just told me recently, even there are difficult social interactions that take place with you. So, uh, which actually, as you described some of those things, broke my heart. But going back to early teens, tell me about some of the social challenges that you had and some of the yeah. emotional challenges you had.
1: Yeah, so I was I was telling Rick before that there are a lot of mental and physical challenges that came with it. Obviously, the physical side was the pain of having to grow and then taking shots every day. But the mental part was even more painful, just seeing like who you thought were friends in middle school or growing up as kids weren't really your friends. In fact, they were actually the people who wanted to get closer to you so that they could tear you apart, you know? And so it was very painful um, mentally. It just tore your self-confidence down. And for me personally, it was just hard going into sports and trying to make friends because it was always like, oh, the weird short kid or the kid who's not good at football or not good at basketball. And so I'd always try to play sports just to, like fit in. Um, but then it never really worked out until I found Ninja which was kind of crazy because in those teen years, I I watched that, and that was my inspiration, watching it with my family all of the time. And so in those darkest times as a teenager and throughout high school of just being in that dark place with low self-confidence, that's what I could look towards, and now I want to be that for people just like these guys and other kids around the nation who also struggle with what I struggle with.
0: So fair to say the experience, hazing, and getting picked on, all the other negative things that go unfortunately with the, you know, the sinful side of the world. Um, I know you could talk more at length about that, but for the moment, let's talk about what was really, as you described for me, a miracle. Yeah. You know, just an <laughs> absolute miracle. So here, your teen years, which I think any of us can understand the negativity of the challenge of teen years, body shaming, let's call it that, right? Yeah. And um, getting picked on. And so you're wondering, God, what do you have for me? Yeah. And it turns out he had something for you that your actual physiology would actually match something yeah. called Ninja Warrior at a, at a pretty elite level. So tell us about how you met a Ninja Warrior or found this gym that you couldn't even afford yeah. or tell us about that connection.
1: Yeah. So as we all know, um, God... God's timing is crazy, and whether it was five to ten years later, um, when I was 12 years old, like I said, I watched the show, and I watched legends from the show, one of them being named Brian Arnold, who he has been on the show for over eight to nine years, and We moved to Denver when I was 14 years old and somehow decided that we should live in this neighborhood. And Brian happened to be one of our neighbors. And so we figured that out one day. And it was pretty incredible that I actually worked with his stepdaughter as well, which was just like, holy cow, how did this happen, you know? So at first I was super starstruck and we noticed that he had some stuff set up in his garage. And so we went and checked that out. And he has like a whole ninja house. And then I obviously like bugged his stepdaughter a bunch, like, tell me more about your dad. I'm a superstar, you know? I'm a, like just starstruck and so then I started working out with him at our local rec center in Denver, Colorado. And uh, I was still, like, couldn't believe that I was hanging out with Brian Arnold, you know? And uh, then all of a sudden, he starts talking about he's helping open a new Ninja Gym franchise, which is now the biggest franchise. It's called Ninja Nation. And he was like, I want you to come work for me at this Ninja Gym. And it was literally a dream come true because... And you're how old? I, I was 18 at the time. I had just turned 18, and I was going into college. So I was like, how can I afford a job or, like, afford to go to a school like Colorado University um, where I attend right now, which we'll get into that in a second. So it was like, how could I afford school? And then where could I find that I really will enjoy working? And then God put this job opportunity right in front of me with Brian. And so I started working at this ninja gym that had n- newly opened. And it's one of the most fantastic facilities in the whole country. Um, and so just that was put right in front of me as an opportunity. And I still coach there to this day. And it's I couldn't ask for anything more. It's amazing. So,
0: So here it is. You can't even afford that elite kind of training you yeah. God has you sovereignly next to the people who can make it happen yeah. you end up having con- connection with them and they start training you yep. they start they start they, st- they start working you out for reals and then they invite you is it a year ago or two years ago to the to, to be a first-time participant
1: Yeah, so last June, uh, I received a call for the season 12 filming of American Ninja Warrior, where they only accepted, because of COVID, it was 150 athletes uh, for the show last season. And typically, to give you perspective, they accept close to 600. And so I thought they were just going to pick the elite athletes that they really wanted on TV. Um, But then when I got the call, it was just like, oh my gosh, this... This can't be real, you know? And so then I just gave all the glory to God, and I just was like, whatever happens, happens. And I was actually here in June of last year and got the call and uh, I had my quarantine body, which was highly unfortunate at that time. Because they were like, we want, you in, <laughs> we want you in St. Louis in three weeks to film. I'm like, three weeks? And we're like, three weeks? So I flew back to Colorado the next day. And I trained over and over and over and over again for three weeks straight in preparation for season 12. And it went fantastic. Um, I made it to semifinals last year, which was incredible <laughs> as a rookie. Yes. Um, and then this year... <laughs> If you guys have kept up, I finished qualifying, and um, I've made it to semifinals, but you haven't seen it yet, so I can't say what <laughs> happens. I'll just say you should really, really watch it, because uh, it's going to be a blast to watch. So, um, But yeah, it, it was just awesome that I got the opportunity in that call, because I can't say that... Like, I expected it. Yeah, it was just like I prayed so much just over and over, even as a kid, that I would get that opportunity one day, and then receiving that phone call, I know my mom cried a lot, and I cried a lot, and it was just super emotional time, so it was awesome because I couldn't have asked for anything more in terms of being a part of the show, and now I'm one of their favorites, so.
0: Yeah, that is, so Jesus, so Lord, so so the Lord. Maybe just one last, one or two things, so I know that. What's amazing about that is, you know, yeah, it's COVID. You know, I get it. Your COVID body. You hadn't been training. There's yeah. really some to do these physical acts. You know, you say the monkey bars. This a whole whole elite level yeah. uh, requires training. Three weeks, you kill it. It turns out your physiology is made for this. You're lighter, but you're still physically stronger, and your arm length allows you still to reach, and you have balance. Yes, I mean, sure. is, that, yeah. is, that, is that what you were telling? I yeah. think it was maybe your parents were saying, the amazing thing about how God wired you physically, that growing up you felt, obviously, all those hard feelings, absolutely. but God was preparing you because you actually physically matched this task. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So basically... I was supposed to be 5'8", and I see a lot of ninjas now that are 5'8", and they're huge and muscular, but that's actually a disadvantage where I only weigh 130 pounds at 5'2", so I can hang forever, um, which is amazing. <laughs> I could, like What I thought as a teen was going to be just this, I guess, rotting feeling in myself that I was never going to be tall enough or never going to be strong enough, and I was never going to be able to do Ninja Warrior. God really had a plan in the future so that it actually worked out for the better, Because he's built my body (laughs) specifically for a ninja warrior, it almost seems like. Like I've got long legs. I've got the longest arms ever. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. This is a fun fact. I didn't know if you came to science class. But um, your arms are actually supposed to be as tall as you are. And that's... Called an ape index, it's supposed to be even, and mine's a positive five inches. So, it's <laughs> so God gave me some extra length on the arms, which basically makes me a monkey, um, and uh, <laughs> which is great because it, it's really helpful. So it makes up for all the height and big big jumps I have to do. So, like you're saying, yeah, God built my body, and uh, as a as a kid and growing up, I thought it was going to be a disadvantage and a toll on my life, and it actually has worked out to be the best because I wouldn't be here without being how i look like right now that's so now,
0: amazing know? that is just so amazing And then lastly i know yeah it's praise the lord um uh just a comment or two about i know you want to tell people about jesus you have a, a mission to proclaim him you know the show you got to kind of negotiate some of that you know and then but you also have a few specific missions and word for other teens yeah. Sh- lastly share about that
1: Yeah, so um, a couple words that have really been on my heart lately is uh, compassion and generosity. And uh, I've had the opportunity this summer to coach over 300 kids in summer camps, which is incredible. And it's not even a Christian camp. This is just at the gym I work at. And so coaching over 300 kids is just amazing because those kids come in to see someone Like myself and learn from them, you know, just like how we go to God and learn from Him. And so I want to be the best example I can for them. And so I look at every one of these kids, just like I look at a lot of people, and I say, well, you never know where they're coming from, you know. It's like you could look at one kid over here and he may go home and have the best time and spend a lot of time with his family, but then you look at another kid over here who may be abused at home or not have. Any food. And then you may look at another kid over here who maybe his parents may be going through a divorce and he doesn't know how to handle it, you know? And then you look over there and it's like, oh, well, that kid, he's really close with his dad, but his mom just passed away, you know? And so when you come and you coach all these kids and you're here to inspire them, you can't be harsh with them. And it's kind of put something on my heart where it's like, be compassionate towards everyone you meet and love them greatly just like God would, you know, love love your neighbor like you would love yourself. And so it's just like overwhelming love and generosity towards everyone I interact with, including all of you. And uh, that's just what's been on my heart lately. And uh, I hope that inspires you guys to do the same. Amen. So.
0: Amen. 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 So let me, uh, let me pray for you. Now, when's, uh, when's your next, uh, when's, when they going to broadcast the next competition?
1: Yeah. So August 23rd, um, on NBC is the episode I will be on Ninja Warrior returns, uh, tomorrow night at six or 7 PM. Um, because of the Olympics, it was postponed for a couple weeks. So definitely keep up with the whole season. Um, but August 23rd is the one that I'll be on so definitely tune into that for sure so
0: great i'm going to pray for you we can see you on you can see your competitions on youtube so let's pray for this wonderful young man so lord jesus i thank you for Nate lord god i thank you for what you've done in his life i thank you for his faith in you god i pray that you would seal him now for good works all the more god as you continue to use him in this place i pray that you'd give him wisdom you give him that big heart lord god you would allow him to be your mouthpiece You give him an integrity of his heart, Lord Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you that you're the redeemer of our pain, redeemer of all these things, Lord God. And so we bless him now all the more. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Church. Thank. You. I want you to meet him. He'll be available, obviously, at the, end of the church, and uh, you guys can just have a, f- a lot of fun interacting. We're going to try and bring him back, even uh, in the fall, to talk to youth in our valley and communicate uh, with uh, them about these things. I think you can all remember your teenage years, and even for adulthood, uh, all the things that God has taken him through really are so pertinent. Okay, let me get into this. Romans chapter three. Open your Bibles. And uh, let me uh, make an adjustment here real quick, and we are running uh, for home. So listen, uh, this message is called Truth That Will Change Your Life. Truth that will actually change your life. I'm camping on this section of Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 31, and some of you might be saying, yes, thank you, Pastor, for camping there. And some of you might be saying, are we having another message over the same verses? And the answer is yes. yes. Yes, because this is actually doctrinally the high watermark of parts of the Bible. And so so here we are in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 31. And the scripture says, This, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Everybody say amen? amen. Thank you so much. For there's no distinction for all of sin and fall short So, God, now come and give power to the preaching of your word by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I got a chance recently to get reoriented to a kid's story. Little did I know that Hans Christian Andersen was a literary giant. Okay, don't judge me for that. Just figuring that out. So we have a park down the street named after Hans Christian Andersen. If you even go to Wikipedia, it mentions downtown Solvang and the library and museum there that has artifacts and history and speaks well about the man's life right here in our little town of Solvang. Hans Christian Andersen, a literary giant with a very large nose. So he had a few stories that he wanted to tell, as it turns out, to preach the gospel. So one of them, just somewhat of an allegory, actually, I thought it was called The Emperor Has No Clothes. It's called The Emperor's New Clothes. If you know this story, raise your hand for me. Okay, so you all know this, that I can do this in 30 seconds. Praise the Lord. You know that there's an emperor and he's seated on the throne. You know this, right? Okay, now, who is the emperor? Oh, I got you, huh? You know who the emperor is? You! He's talking about you. That the human individual has a propensity to sit on the throne of their own life in absolute foolishness. So in the story, the Emperor's New Clothes, some sh- people who are con artists and shenanigans, they come to him and they say, "We have this invisible cloth, and we're going to make this thing, up uh, and we're, and you know, you're going to pay us money for it." And the king, in his foolishness, says yes, and that these con artists go away. Of course, they're just laughing all the way to the bank because the king is paying them and paying them, and so he gets concerned. And so then he sends a a series of emissaries to go talk to this person to figure out whether it's true. Hans Christian Andersen is trying to tell you and me that when you sit on the throne of your own life, you actually are resistant to the truth. And oftentimes people around you are afraid to tell you the truth, a simple truth. And so these emissaries go, he sends two groups, they come back, they participate in the con because they're too afraid to tell him the truth. And so now they're going to disrobe the king, he's going to go down the street, he's wearing only his birthday suit, he allegedly thinks in his own fantasy that he has this invisible series of clothing, and all the adults are participating in this charade until a little child says, Mommy and Daddy... The emperor has no clothes. And it would take a little child to say the truth. That is what Paul is actually saying here in a theological context to all the words that we just read in the scriptures that all the things that you trust in to be made right before God, all the things that you tend to trust in to deal with satisfaction in your life, they are actually imaginations. They are not robes of righteousness. They're not things that are going to give you the deepest satisfactions in life. They're not the things that are going to deliver you from your darkest hour. They're actually distractions of things that will keep you from Jesus Christ. You actually have a soul. That's what Paul is saying. And it is the most important thing in your life. Your soul is so important that God would come to save it. You actually have an eternal soul. So you will actually live eternally with Jesus Christ, and that is heaven, to which we all say yes. And my job, pastorally, is to actually take you all to heaven. Who's coming with me? Thank you. But there are actually those who can choose contrary the bible calls that hell and so it's heaven or hell you will live forever and paul is mentioning a miracle a miracle of righteousness that god's actual righteousness god's perfect perfect righteousness can come and live in your heart it's a miracle it's a miracle that you can be saved apart from the law it's a miracle that you can be saved apart from works It's a miracle that you can be saved by faith. It's a miracle that you can be saved through the cross of Jesus Christ. So these are the things that Paul is saying. So let's get after these truths. First truth, first truth that I want you to understand that will actually change your life in the most serious way is that you cannot earn the righteousness of God, it comes to you by faith. I'm going to actually repeat that. Normally, when we get our church up and running, and this is our first use of the tent, we still need to make some adjustments. We may have a few other things for coverings, and then we'll have some digital devices, but I would have a big screen. I'd have a big screen right now, and it would have a black backdrop with white letters. It'd be really big, and it would say these words. You cannot earn the righteousness of God. It comes to you by faith. Verse 21 and 22, are mentioning this using the language of being manifested apart from the law. Paul will mention that the law and prophets speak about this and that there's this righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So we have to ask the question, why? Why is it actually, why is it faith? Why did God actually orient it that way? Well, I'm going to tell you that my understanding of the scriptures is that we have this gift of faith because of love. And so it manifests love, that's what faith does. It actually manifests love. Imagine two business people, and I've seen this, and actually this is somewhat even how we got this property, but we'll just say it this way. Imagine two business people, they have private businesses, they have a lot of money on the line, and they realize if we work together and combine companies, we can actually win the day and win market share and have all the returns we want, but we actually have to risk it all. We actually have to risk it all, and there's no time for all the lawyers. And when we purchase this, boy, did I realize that lawyers actually get involved, and they like to write things, and they write lots of papers and lots of binders and 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 all of that. And so so there's no time for that. This business guy to say, we've just got to do it together. I'm going to trust you. Trust that you're a man of character. Trust that you're a person of character all of our financial futures on the line, all of our family's financial future in the line. We're going to write a few things down and we're going to go after it. This property was actually, we negotiated this property with the sellers. We wrote it down on a napkin. is that a miracle? I wrote down for him, this is what the church needs and this is what the church needs and this is what the church needs and this is what the church needs. And he goes, well, this is what my family trust needs and this is what we need and this is what we need. And I go, okay, Great. This works for me. Does that work for you? We double-checked it with our elders. Yes, this works. And we actually shook hands on it. That's how we got this property. And so, so imagine two business people like that, and then it works out. It all works out. It all works out. And imagine, now they get the, the lawyers involved, and now they're getting all the stamps and all the approvals and that kind of thing, boom, or whatever. What are these two men going to look at in one another? Well, the same way we looked at the seller, and the same way we looked at everyone who participated in making this happen, with absolute tears in our eyes, weeping tears of joy and hugging one another and enthusiasm and love and 10,000 thank yous to everyone who made it possible and, and made this possible. In other words, faith literally means trust. That's what Paul's word here means. I can tell it to you in Greek. I can give you the grammar. It means trust. The way you understand trust that I entered into in a relationship with you based on a series of assumptions that you would do something and be consistent in a certain way and you actually lived up to it. And God is saying you can trust me. (laughs) He's actually saying, you human beings are not trustworthy. (laughs) But he's saying, I can hold you in a place that even though you'll struggle to be trustworthy in any kind of way, I will change you and I will grow you and I will overcome every single shortcoming of your character because I will hold you. So why faith? Because of love. I'm going to read you here from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, where Paul will explain this in a little bit more detail. He's actually given a bit more of his personal testimony. But in verse 7, he's actually going to say, I have, but for whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Again, I'm in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, here's the word that Paul says, rubbish. A little more time, I'll tell you the deep waters on that one. But he actually means what you think it might mean in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Can you underline that in your Bibles? We're cross-referencing Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on... Can you say the word faith? faith, that I may know him the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul is mentioning here that the very reasons why we have faith, back to Romans chapter 3, is so that you can enter in to a walk with Jesus Christ, where He says, "I am going to be dependable and you watch, and all of that trust will promote love. I would ask every single person here to meditate on Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, where Jesus says, "I will never leave you and never forsake you." It's an absolute. I will never, never, ever, there is no circumstance that is possible, leave you. So, I can understand that. Okay, God, you say that you'll never leave me, sure, sure. But it's the second word that should drop you to your knees. It's the second word in Hebrews thirteen five that should just overwhelm you. And that is the fact that he says, I will never forsake you. So do you have behavior sometimes that makes God think or you make yourself think that God has forsaken me? God himself says, I cannot forsake you. It's impossible for me to forsake you. When I meditate on the verse to this day, it still drops me to my knees. And so we cannot earn the righteousness of God by faith. This is Paul's teaching here in verse 21 through 22. It comes by faith because that trust cultivates love. Second truth that we see, and it's actually in the same verses of 21 and 22. The second truth is that we are actually saved apart from the law. This will actually be something that might be a little new to some of you. But the divine law of God says that sin means that somebody should die. So did you sin against God? Have you sinned against God? Has somebody out there sinned against God? Everyone should say, Yes. Yes. yes, you should die. That's what that divine law means. If you want a commentary on it, read the book of Deuteronomy. If you want a graduate school commentary on it, read the book of Leviticus. Both of those writings of Moses have long dissertations of teaching about why, why, if we have actually offended God, if we have actually sinned against God, why there must be a blood sacrifice and a blood payment for our sin. The short answer in Moses' teaching is that we know physically that the life is in the blood. So if you drain the blood out of Pastor Rick Soto, he will will die. Jesus' teaching about this mentions In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, that we actually need to be perfect. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus also teaching about this, says that he is the fulfillment of the perfect law of righteousness, and that's why it can be given to you. So when I talk this way, most people don't get it. All right, so just straight up. It's okay, it's okay. Most people don't get it. So, There's a few ways to sort of understand this. And other times, I've sometimes had a marker, sort of like this here is a, you know, holding the tent together. But I'll have the marker here, and then I'll sort of say, well, you know, know, how far close to 100% righteousness can you get? People who are very moral and very capable and very successful will sometimes say, well, maybe 75%. And then it goes all the way down to like 25, right? The truth of the Bible is it's 0%. And the best illustration I can give to you is this. I don't know. I didn't look it up this morning. I don't know how many people live in California. Uh, I don't know. 50 million, 60 million, 100 million. Uh, Let's just say it's 50 million people. I think it's more than that. But whatever. 50 million people. Imagine that we say to every citizen of California, we will give you $1 billion dollars if you could go down to the beach at Oxnard, actually pick any California beach. And just in your simple clothing, you have to swim without any device or assistance all the way to the Hawaiian Islands. But if you could do it, we'll give you a billion dollars. You know how many people are going to make it? Zero. (laughs) It cannot be done. It cannot be done for many physiological reasons, many reasons related to biology. We wouldn't even care if we gave you swim goggles so that you could see who is about to eat you on the third day of swimming. (laughs) You would catch a current and it would sweep you away. You would actually have a gargantuan wave that you've never seen, and it would lift you up 60, 70 feet in the air, and it would ultimately pummel you to the very depths of the bottom of the ocean, and you'd be pinned down so far that you would actually pop everything in your ear, in your nose, to where you would be completely disoriented and would not know how to actually swim to the top. So it doesn't matter that we would bet a billion dollars on you. Without some mechanical aid or other kinds of devices, it cannot be done. And everybody knows that. So in the same way you have zero righteousness inside of you, of your own natural soul, body, spirit, by which God would say, you know what, I don't need a blood sacrifice over your life, you're that perfect. The law of God speaks to this. And so fortunately, fortunately there's a grace that comes over. That brings up the third point now related to these following verses where in verse 23 and on, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verse 24 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And so the third truth that will save your life, it's not just that you cannot earn the righteousness of God, but it comes by faith. It's not just that you're saved apart from the law. It is third that the righteousness of God actually saves you from your sinful heart from your sinful mind. I'll use your hands and your feet to talk about sinful habits. But I'm going to give you a fourth category and that is from your sinful hopes. We have these sinful hearts, mind, habits, but I want to talk about your hopes. When I talk to people and pray with them, so many things that trip us up in our humanity are related to what we have hope for in life. Some people had hope that they would make tens of millions of dollars in this lifetime. And so now it hasn't happened. Maybe it's the actual opposite. Maybe they were irrational. Maybe they never had any of the talent. Maybe they had none of the education. Maybe they had none of the business opportunities by which they could actually perceive of themselves as making tens and tens of millions of dollars. But nonetheless, our hopes are not rational. And so they held on to this hope. And now it didn't happen. And so now they're depressed. They're sad. They're maybe suicidal. The same thing happens when people say, well, I thought I'd have a marriage like this. I thought I'd have children like this. I thought I'd have a life like this. I thought I'd have a career like this. I thought I'd have health like this. I thought I'd have friends like this. Most of those in and of themselves are simply benign. But what we do is we make idols out of them and we get perverted inside that in terms of our soul. And so we have problems. And God's solution to all of your sin in your heart, God's solution to all of the sin in your mind God's solution to sinful habits and any hopes that are not right is simply this, grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. What that means in terms of Paul's teaching here, you have to appreciate how hard he's working linguistically. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the next sentence, are, he's going to say, are justified. That's a doctrinal point. By his grace, that's a point. As a gift, it's the same thing. Through the redemption, it's basically doctrine of the same thing in Jesus Christ. Linguistically, he's working as hard as possible to tell you this. When we woke up today in Christ, you got all the grace that you need. How much grace did you need? Some of you needed a lot of grace. (laughs) So you got it all, and now throughout your day, it's like you're drinking it and consuming it. So in some ways, you could kind of perceive it like a tank, where that grace gets lower and lower as you go through the day. And now you're on your bed. Now you're on your bed. You're in your comfy blankie. Some of you are blankie people, I know. And you you have you have like those beds with that foam. You got that super foamy thing and then you went, to, you went to like Nordstrom's and you really got online that great pillow. Love those great pillows, right? I know you did that, you know. And some of you on top of your beds, you have that pillow called a sham. <laughs> Do you know what a sham is as a pillow? It's a pillow you never use. That's what a sham is. So you have this and you're, you're there all tucked up nice, nice, nice. And that grace is all but done, and then you go to sleep. God says he visits you in your sleep. God says he's actually talking you in your sleep. And all that grace that you need for the next day, that tank fills up and fills up and fills up and fills up and fills up up, because God knows all the grace that you need. And when you wake up and you have your junk in your eyes and you're looking for your toothbrush and all of that and you're trying to grab your Bible, you, before you have even started your day, have all the grace you need. You have it all. You have it all as a gift of God. And so God's righteousness inside us gives us that grace. Here's a biblical illustration. I, I think this is one of the most fascinating Bible stories of God's grace. Just by way of reference, it's Mark chapter 2. And in Mark's chapter 2, there's a paralytic who's going to be healed. So you know this man's paralyzed somehow, and he can't get to Jesus. That is a nice description of you and I. His friends take him, but they can't heal him they'll actually drop him down from the ceiling in front of Jesus. And Jesus could do anything in front of him. He says to him, Oh, let's deal with sin. What's harder? To heal him right now? Or to forgive him of his sin? Okay, I'll give you both. You're forgiven of your sin, and we're going to heal you right now. And he's healed. What has this man done to get that healing? Nothing. He's paralyzed In case you want to know the context, Jesus is teaching. He's talking about important matters related to the kingdom. He shouldn't be interrupted. He shouldn't be disturbed. And they do all of these things, these socially rude behaviors, to get their friend in front of them so that Jesus will heal them. And he's done nothing to deserve it. He's done nothing to earn it. And Jesus heals them from his sin. He heals them of his body. God's grace. God's grace. Truth that will change your life. Verse twenty four has something I just briefly want to camp on, and are justified by his grace through the redemption of his, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward in verse twenty five as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, and this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, forbearance excuse me, he passed over former sins. Fourth, truth that will change your life. And that is that God's righteousness will shine upon you. The word propitiation here, not an English word that we're familiar with in the Greek is hilasterion. And it simply means that God is satisfied. It's actually related to this mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. It's also related to a Hebrew word that I love and favor called panaim. Panayim is actually the face of God. And so what happens in the holy of holy place, whether it was the tabernacle, which is a tent structure like this, interestingly enough, and not much bigger, and, or if it was the temple, which was not much bigger than this, but a physical structure, in that holy place, once a year, this blood sacrifice would be poured out. It was called a mercy seat. And there, there, then a, like a cloud, physical manifestation would come, and it was actually God's face. Now, this word panayim goes back to the very beginning of Genesis when God's face was upon the waters. It's actually a manifestation of his presence. And so God's righteousness means that his face shines upon you. That's why he looks at you now and he sees his son. He sees the finished work of the cross And he says, you, my son and daughter, my face shines upon you. You are mine. You belong for blessing. I created you for good. I lift you up now as you weep. I am strong for you. I open doors for you. I have a road for you. Panayim. His face shines upon you. Last and fifth. God's righteousness, as Paul is describing here in these last few verses, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one in Jesus Christ means that all of us in Christ, that we are actually fifth. God's righteousness makes us equal as one true family we actually become together one true family. Because we just said, can you earn salvation? Can you earn salvation? Is there things so great in you that are earning salvation? How about you guys outside the tent? Is there anything anything inside you that says, no, I actually deserve Christ to die on the cross for my sin. I have actually earned my salvation. I don't need the blood of Christ. Is there anybody here? No. No we're actually all the same. We actually have the same need of God, the same need of God's grace. And so that actually makes us a family. That makes the church a spiritual family. That means in the kingdom of God, we actually become friends. We become friends with people who are not like us. We become friends with people who we never would have socialized with. We interact with one another who we never would have hung out with. We have these new relationships. I'm struck by a few things related to personal revival as it applies to these verses. That when God's grace baptizes you, when that righteousness works inside of you, when these truths come about you, when you enter into relationships like we're talking about, there is actually a new and fresh laughter that comes upon your life. Maybe some of your circumstances are still getting worked out, but there's a supernatural kind of joy. There's prayer. There's fellowship and friendship. There's baptisms of the Holy Spirit. And all of these come about when we are all the same in this one true family of God. So that's why I've been camping on these verses. It's why I've wanted them to understand them over and over and over again. It's the beautiful foundational truth by which we get to live by. I want to talk about crossing the lines. I want to understand that a little bit with you. So church, here's what happens over and over again. You have to respond to these truths. You have to activate your faith with these truths. You have to tell yourself, I need prayer for grace. You have to tell yourself, I need people to pray that the righteousness of God would be activated in my life. I need that joy and that love that Christ has for me, whether my current circumstances change or not. I actually need that. Okay, church, I want you to stand with me. I bless you, Church, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the great patriarchs, He loves you, and he blesses you now in his own name, the name of Jesus Christ. I pray this over you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.